Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Rison will be coming up in the second half of the podcast. He's going to break down what he watched and saw during the Browns' loss to the Ravens. But before we get to that, let's look ahead to this bye week for the Browns because, look, players get to get out of town. They get to hit the reset button. We'll see them all on their college campuses this weekend at games and things like that. But you know, the coaches, they're probably going to still be in Berea. They're going to be working away um, and, and trying to get some things ironed out for this team that's two and two at the bye. So let's each throw out one thing we think that this team needs to work on during this bye week. Mary Kay, why don't you start us off? You know, this is going to be the first thing in a column that I'm writing today on three things that the Browns must reevaluate at the bye week. Uh, so the first thing uh, that I'm going to be writing about is uh, the number two quarterback situation. Uh, again, I do believe that I questioned it either on the pod or in writing when they uh, when they went with DTR as their as their number two quarterback, wondering if in this high stakes season that that was a prudent decision. And now I think it's it's evident that. Uh, they really need to at least have a conversation about it. Maybe they don't have to decide in the next three days that he is not their number two, but they have to talk about it because in the event that Deshaun Watson misses another game or two, especially against a division rival, they have to know that they're rock solid. Now, do you go with uh, the other quarterback on the roster who at least has seven games of starting experience in P.J. Walker? Or do you look outside the organization and go uh, with a more experienced quarterback? Maybe even you think about trading for a quarterback, uh, which I think is what I would do. I think at this point, I would try to try to find a more experienced quarterback. Not all that easy uh, because you want to find someone who has a strong arm and uh, and is a dual threat quarterback. So you want there to be the crossover in the skill set. But um, I just don't know that you can put uh, this team in the hands of a rookie quarterback who is really not ready to play yet. So I would be scouring uh, practice squads. I would be scouring other teams' rosters. And I would be doing everything that I possibly could to come up with another number two. That doesn't mean that DTR is not going to be a good number two someday or a good quarterback someday. I just think at this moment in time, in a high-stakes season, you have to have a really, really good quality number two. Yeah, that was eye-opening on Sunday. I mean, that was that was that looked like a fifth-round rookie. That reminded me of some of the quarterback play we saw in 2016 and 2017. Um, you know, like when Kevin Hogan was getting run out there. Now, I think DTR is better than Kevin Hogan. I think he has a chance to be a serviceable backup at some point in his career, but like he just very obviously wasn't ready. And this is a team that's all in. And I and I understand. I mean, look at all the money they have. I'm not saying go out and sign somebody for $10 million, but you can at least spend five or $6 million on a backup quarterback. You know, Again, I don't know off the top of my head who's out there necessarily. There's probably somebody available that you could get for a trade, something like that. But, um, you know, Ashley, it was just really concerning. And just knowing how weird everything was leading up to that game, we assume Deshaun Watson's shoulder is going to be okay. Who knows? You don't need to, to bring in the second coming of Peyton Manning here, but you have to bring in a guy that can move the offense. Yeah. The inability to even like really move the offense was, I think what was most concerning and like the fact I talked about this after the game, just 
I thought he looked rattled at times. And some of the mistakes he was making were just not characteristic from what we saw from him in the preseason. And like knowing he's a guy who had all this starting experience in college, but like prime example, you know, after the Elijah Moore failed end around in the first quarter, when they're now facing second and 30, and that's when, you know, he, he has a little keeper, but then makes the illegal forward pass. And then they're facing third and 31. You know, it's like, it was stuff like that. And like I said, the scrambling, I think was really concerning. Like he just looked really overwhelmed in those moments, obviously the interceptions, but it was even like just that basic, like operational stuff that you really can't afford. Like, I mean, I, I think you have to do your due diligence, which I think is a a buzz phrase with this front office, but you have to given the stakes and given the rest of the talent and given the fact like, you know, we don't know what's going on exactly right now with this injury. But I mean, I would be concerned about having to run him out there a second time this year, unless it's like, oh, you've somehow clinched the division early and and you can kind of afford to do that in week 18 against the Bengals or something. I think in an ideal scenario, that is the only time we would have seen him this year. But I think in a game that matters, like not only are you putting yourselves in a bad position, you're putting him in a bad position too. Now, if they're not going to change the backup quarterback, because maybe there's not somebody out there, maybe they can't find that guy, they need to at least Mary Kay sit down and develop the DTR game plan, right? Like if we need to start DTR again, here's kind of, you know, here's the handful of plays that we know we can run with them. Here's, here's what the game plan is going to look like with DTR because you need to know that anyway. Cause if Deshaun were to get hurt during a game, he'd have to go in on the fly, you know, and, and you'd have to adjust that on the fly. So um, I, I think they need to at least do that. If they're not going to make a change of backup quarterback, they have to have a better grasp of what this offense needs to look like if DTR is running it. I mean, yeah, think about it. As soon as October 15th against the San Francisco 49ers, what if uh, what if Deshaun just like couldn't make it through the whole game or something? You know, I mean, that's such an excellent defense and, and they're going to come after him and they're going to attack him. And who even knows if their starting center, Ethan Posick, will be able to play in that game because he has an injury. So um, there are some issues that way. And there's not a good running game right now to support a backup quarterback, a young rookie backup quarterback. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I think they really do need uh, to take a look at it. But as you mentioned, they they would have to try to support DTR much better than they did. The problem was, and people keep saying, well, why did they run the ball 30? Why did they pa- make him pass 36 times? Um, well, they don't have a running game right now. I mean, they, they tried to run the ball and in the early going, they were making a little hay that way. But then the Baltimore Ravens, who were not even at full strength, not even close to full strength uh, defensively, they figured them out, figured them out, and they shut them down. So, um, so it's not like you can say, oh yeah, well, you know, we've got Nick Chubb out there, and you know, we can go a little easy on DTR. They just don't have that right now, and so. Um, you know, that's that's part of it. And I'm sure we'll probably get into that more as we go along through this pod. But, um, you know, I don't know what they would actually really be able to do, um, you know, in the event that they have to roll DTR out there against a really aggressive attacking, attacking defense like they saw on Sunday. Yeah. And that, and that problem is kind of twofold, too, because 
when DTR is out there, we saw those deep balls. I mean, nobody's going to be afraid of him pushing the ball down the field at this point. So that makes it even harder to run the ball because now, you, you know, you don't have to play two safeties back or any, you, you know, you can really stack the box. So it makes running even more difficult. Um, Ashley, what do you have? Yeah, I think that's a nice transition into the next point, which I said this after the game too. It's like this is the time to figure out what this run game looks like without Nick Chubb because this was just obviously sprung on them mid-game, Nick's injury, and having to, you know, reevaluate that quickly, it's hard. So I think that just needs to be a priority during the break. And like we've already seen them make the roster move, right? And that's get Kareem Hunt here. But I think now it's like the actual game planning. Elijah Moore kind of factors into this of, you know, looking at how well that part of your run game has been working and what you need to do differently there. Um, I think that that just has to be, you know, the second most like, or one of the two most important things I think for this offense, along with the backup quarterback talk. Yeah. So, I mean, this is sort of like the DTR thing, Mary Kay, like Jerome Ford is a different runner than Nick Chubb. He can't do a lot of the things Nick Chubb can do, but there are, there's got to be a way to get Jerome Ford going. I mean, there were a couple moments on Sunday. I mean, they started a game with with the 26-yard run. Now, there was a hold on that, but, um, you know, Jerome had turned the corner and the hold was down the field. So that was still a quality run. And there were a couple other moments there where it seemed like maybe they could get something going. But they, they've got to figure out how to make this run game work with Jerome Ford, when to go to Kareem Hunt, um, what, what these guys are best at. Does Pierre Strong fit in there? That that really, that might be the most important thing this week, right? Because you assume Deshaun's going to be back, but you got to figure out this run game kind of around that as well. Yeah, they really do. And when you think about it, so here's what they thought they were going to have when they headed into the season. They thought they were going to have Nick Chubb, arguably the best pure runner in the NFL. Uh, then they thought they were going to have a young, up-and-coming, speedy back for a change-up in Jerome Ford. Uh, they thought they would have a running quarterback, uh, that would be uh, adding to the mix. And then uh, they were going to have a sort of uh, a wide back in, in Elijah Moore, who was going to give you some of those Debo Samuel type yards and, uh, and get things going from that standpoint. So uh, they were going to have a really, really robust running game behind a really stout offensive line. Well, since that time, they've lost right tackle Jack Conklin. They've lost Nick Chubb. Now they've got a center who's hurt with a knee injury. They're going to hope to have him back as soon as possible. And um, things haven't worked out. Elijah Moore hasn't been the runner that they hoped he would be yet. Doesn't mean he can't be, um, but they need to go back to the drawing board and see how they can get him on track a little bit. Again, Jerome Ford brings tremendous speed, um, but he hasn't really been able to show it yet. In the last two games, he's averaged only uh, 2.9 yards per carry and 1.8 yards per carry. That's not going to cut it. Um, Kareem Hunt, he should be more up to speed by the time he gets back from the bye week and kind of have his sea legs a little bit. So so that should help. He had a couple of decent runs in the first, first quarter of the Ravens game. Um, but they definitely have, have to go back to the drawing board. They have to go back to the drawing board. And we talked about this yesterday, Dan, on the Hey MK pod. I think now knowing that Nick Chubb probably isn't going to be back at the start of 2024, although he is a freak and you never know. Um, but knowing that he probably is going to be out for a large chunk of that season or 
you know, or even all of the season potentially uh, while he rehabs from this very, very serious knee injury, you know, maybe they do rethink going out and getting themselves uh, just a, another really high quality back. You know, maybe you, you look around in a trade possibility and see what you can find that way. That's one thing that I would definitely do um, because you can't go through the season like this. Uh, either that or you're going to have to hope that uh, Jerome Ford, and I have been saying this since training camp. You guys have heard me say this 26,000 times. And that is the fact that he missed most of training camp with a hamstring injury. I've never seen a player come back super, super strong right from the jump, at least not around these parts. It happens, but for the most part, there's a, a pretty big ramp up period. So maybe he'll be better. You know, maybe as he gets through this bye week, uh, he'll be better than he has been able to show so far. He's got that great speed. I mean, if you can get him uh, out there in the open field a little bit, he he can take off. And like, as you said, he, he had the 26-yard run on that first play uh, that was wiped out by the holding. So he's definitely got it in him. Um, but they've got to figure this out. They have to figure this out. Uh, they have to get themselves together in the run game so that they can support Deshaun Watson and also whoever else has to play at quarterback. Maybe it's not a big name. Maybe there's just some value name out there, right? Down somebody's depth chart. Um, was it, was it Jeff Wilson that the dolphins traded for last year from, uh, from the 49ers? Maybe somebody like that becomes available. Um, you know, just somebody to help kind of bolster this with Kareem and Jerome. And, and they just sort of need to figure out how to get the ball in these guys' hands effectively and, and make it work. So we'll see. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go, let's continue down this Elijah Moore road a little bit. I think they need to figure out exactly what they want to do with Elijah. I, you know, they came into this season and we saw it in the preseason and they made it pretty clear. They wanted to turn him into Debo Samuel. Unfortunately, in these first four games, he, he has not been Debo Samuel. Um, it has not gone well. And he had that really disastrous play on Sunday that short-circuited what was a really promising drive, um, lost 20 yards on a run. It, it just hasn't gotten going. So I think they need to decide what do they want to do with Elijah Moore. Do they want to kind of continue to keep forcing this, or do they want to back off a little bit and maybe just say, Elijah, go be a wide receiver? And because you're pretty good at that, we've seen that uh, you can run routes, you can make catches, go be a wide receiver for us. And then maybe we'll revisit this stuff down the road a little bit. But it feels to me, Mary Kay, like they're just trying a little too hard to force feed the Elijah Moore thing. And I think it was really evident in the Titans game when they just targeted him over and like they they really force fed him the football in that game. And maybe it's time to back off of that just a little bit for even if it's just for a few weeks. Yes, they have to streamline Elijah Moore. They absolutely have to streamline what's going on with him and make sure they're putting him in the best chances to succeed. The difference between Elijah Moore and Debo Samuel Samuel is size. Debo Samuel is 60215. And we know uh, that Elijah Moore is like 5'9, 180 something. Okay. He's he's a much, much smaller individual. And over the course of time, he's probably not going to be able to take the kind of pounding uh, that he would have to take in that role. And it just, it really hasn't worked so far. And it's not that it's necessarily his fault. I mean, again, there have been some issues on the offensive line and, um, and the running game just, you know, hasn't been 
what they thought it would be. Maybe Elijah Moore in that dual role would have been more effective if Nick Chubb were still here, just, you know, pounding out those tough yards on a down for down basis. But I would back him off of that um, for the most part. And I would get the ball in his hands in ways that, that are going to, to help him be the most successful, get his confidence up, get him some really nice touches, um, you know, maybe get him a, a touchdown or two to, to really kind of get him rolling and get people thinking about him a little bit more. But I would, I would dial it back and, and focus more on the, on the short passing game with him and just kind of give the, the running thing a little bit of a rest. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it was cool in the preseason and I liked the idea and thought it might be fun. And, you know, I, I've said it, I said it here. I thought like, hey, maybe this is kind of finally the toy that Kevin Stefanski has been looking for. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with just running some routes and catching a bunch of balls down the field, too, sometimes. <laughs> and maybe that's what the Browns need to do with him for, for a little while here, Ashley. It doesn't have to look like a finished product in week. What are we going to be on week six when they come back? Right. Like, and it didn't have to look like a finished product in all of the ways you can use Elijah Moore. We're going to do that right off the bat from week one against the Bengals. And it's going to be great. Like, I do think there is a value in especially newer players to the team or younger players, like getting them those easy touches and building that confidence. Like Mary Kay was talking about. I mean, I think that's, that's a really important X factor that I think can get undervalued in like all of the X's and O's portion of a game and a player's skill and, and all that number tangible stuff. I think that comfortability is really important. And I think like you can add and make things more complicated once Elijah Moore has found his footing in this offense, they really feel comfortable in how they're using him in the past game. And, and yeah, I mean, given his size, like that has always been a concern for me with how much they were going to use him in the run game or how much they wanted to. I always thought that was something they needed to keep in mind. So I think it's okay to simplify it when you come back and just figure out the easiest ways to use him right now and know that doesn't, that's not what it has to look like in week 15 or 16. Yeah, that stuff is in there. That stuff is still there. But maybe it's less of a staple of your offense and more of a, hey, we're going to roll this out every couple of weeks sort of thing. Um, but they they need to figure that, that side of it out too. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break here on the podcast. And then when we come back, Lance Reisland is going to join us and walk us through his film study uh, from Sunday's loss to the Ravens. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We now welcome on Lance Reisland to look back on Sunday's loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Lance, how are you? Good, Dan. Good to be here. Okay, let's get to it. You uh, you really liked what Todd Munkin did in that game to this Browns defense. So let's the floor is yours. What what did Todd Munkin do so effectively to, to kind of get at this Browns defense in ways no one else has been able to? Well, I thought the first thing he did, so when you watch, the, especially those two long drives they had, that 93-yard and a 75-yard touchdown drive, those drives are really, um, the plan worked perfectly. And what the first thing he did was he allowed some of these defensive linemen to pressure upfield. And when you allow them to pressure upfield, then they were trapping them. They were wham blocking them with uh, Ricard. Uh, they were kicking them out. They were letting the defensive end. So they would let people get upfield. And, you know, that's part of the Browns defense. And you're going to have some days where it just doesn't quite work out. And Todd Munkin's kind of new. And and obviously, the more film you have, you know, you'll study and see what they like to do and tendencies of things of that nature. But 
that was the first thing he did is he said, you know what? These guys are going to get upfield. Let's trap them. Let's kick them out. Let's wham block them. Let's do some things to them. That coupled with they added Zay Flowers. And, you know, the Browns' second level, we've talked about it, are covering kicks. So they're 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 susceptible to eye candy. And, and, and what I mean by that is that eye conflict. So Zay Flowers went in motion religiously throughout the game. And, and those second-level defenders all had their eyes on him. So it got him out of position uh, on the big cutback run um, by Justice Hill. Uh, things like that. They just got caught with their eyes in the backfield. And that's because that motion. And then, you know, as a – what a defense will do, a defensive lineman will do, if I'm getting upfield and people are clocking me, is that I start to play the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Well, then they started double teaming and they started getting really good double teams and movement because that's really not how the Browns play. But you're kind of adjusting to what you see on the run and they were doing a good job of that. Then they got those big doubles. And I'll tell you what, the Ravens really got into those double teams. And then that kind of throws the second level off because you're kind of getting what you had last year. So and then passing wise, you know, we talk about our, you know, the corners of the Browns and, you know, they are very good. So what did he do? He tacked he tacked inside with the tight ends, you know, he can. Jackson had 15 completions. Nine of those were to tight ends and backs. So he attacked um, in the slot. Once again, he attacked. He would use a lot of motion. Uh, the Browns like to use uh, a lot of man coverage. So if you think about this, uh, the wheel route, the rail route um, to Gordon, that was a pick route uh, by Aguiar. And, you know, and he ran the thing because he you know brought him back in motion. They know they're in man coverage. So and it's not like the Browns backers can't cover, but they haven't had to do that very much. So he said, let's stay away from those corners and let's attack. And then, obviously, I thought complimentary football, they knew the Browns' offense were struggling, so they were very smart, uh, protected the football, and did the things they needed to do to get the win, and that's what happened. But I thought his plan was excellent. He knows the Browns are really good. He knows that D-line was good. Let him come upfield, kick him, let him get tired, double-team him, and attack inside with those backs and tight ends. Very very good plan by Munkin. How repeatable is that plan, do you think? And how much of it was, hey, we've got this all-world quarterback in Lamar Jackson who's off to maybe the best start of his career, you know, even better than that 2019 MVP season. How repeatable is this performance offensively? Like when these – look, Kyle Shanahan can do anything, but when we start getting into some of these other teams that don't have a Kyle Shanahan as a coordinator, a Todd Munkin, when they look at this – how repeatable is this and how will they be able to replicate it? Well, I don't think can. you're going to be able, I don't think you're going to be even, even the uh, 49ers. They can't, if you look at some of the, the scramble plays and some of the movement plays, uh, Purdy's not doing that, even though Shanahan is outstanding, but they have a lot of other pieces that the Ravens don't have. Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, they're, they're going to be really scary as this Monk and offense takes place because they're only going to get better in the pocket. Uh, his ability to move in the pocket, the design runs they had, um, you know, if you look at the 10-yard run, that was a, a counter play. They used Zay Flowers on the jet sweep. They had no one left. Uh, Moses didn't have to pull anybody be, just because of that, uh, you know, that motion constantly. So his ability to run like a running back and, and throw. But now he's in this pro offense where you're getting spread stuff. So what it does is it, you know, obviously the more, you know, it's just like any other team. The more you have on film, the more these defensive coordinators can watch. And there will be tendencies and there will be things that they're doing that you will stop. But his ability to improvise and things like that, it's kind of what the Browns want with Watson. There's certain things you just can't stop, you know, and he made a couple of really big plays. But I think you have to understand those big plays are coming. But the Browns gave up too much in terms of the five and seven, the nickel dimers that they did last year, which they haven't, you know, at all given up this year. You know, they were historic for, a couple, you know, three weeks. So 
like the NFL wasn't, I didn't, you know, it shouldn't have been the Super Bowl, you know, for, cause of the, what they did to the Titans, but the world's not over because they played poorly this week. They just got to re- kind of got to get back on track. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's repeatable and I think they're going to get, actually, I think they're going to get better because he can throw from the pocket very well as well. Okay. So let me throw this at you about the defense. This was not the defensive performance that we expected to see. And that second quarter was obviously it was bad, but at the same time, when I looked at, when I, when I went back and watched it and even in real time too. So first quarter. Baltimore goes three and out, three and out. Then they take over after the interception of the Browns 10 touchdown and then three and out again. Okay. So then it was the second quarter, whatever, bad quarter. It's 14 to three at halftime. Ravens come out, start to drive at the Browns 46 yard line and end up having to punt. Then they go three and out again, and then they go three and out again. And then they finally score that, that third touchdown um, with, uh, 540, 5.56 left in the third quarter. So you can't erase the second quarter. This was not, as Greg Newsom said after the game, this was not a game up to their standard defensively. Was this defense as bad, though, as maybe it was made out to be after this game? Because there were certainly, I feel like if the Browns would have been able to generate anything offensively, the defense played well enough for them to win this game. Well, yeah, the, the defense didn't play as bad. You know, it was what's wrong with the defense. There's nothing wrong with defense. It goes to tell you, no, no matter how good one part of the three parts are, are, which the Browns defense is outstanding, if you have one of those special teams or offense or defense, if one of them is really, really struggling, it's going to affect the other two tremendously. And what it does, it makes the other – it made the defense press – maybe try to create turnovers, try to uh, maybe not, maybe that defensive line was not reading their keys because even though they're a penetrating team, you know, they have to get their hands a little bit more on that offensive line. In my opinion, I think that'll help them because that'll help the the linebackers. Now that's been successful through three games because the games have been closer. They've been up and they've been able to just create pass rush. But when you're in a run pass situation where the offense can do either, you need to help that second level out and you need to play a little bit more sound. However, when the offense is struggling, you're trying to make plays, and that can cause you to, like you said, so it's they've played lights out, and now they got to play defense from the 10. And then they come out, and, and I thought he made a great call with the counter because they're trying to you know get to Zay Flowers, which is a tendency of them, especially on that jet sweep. So um, they had so they've given up 10 yards, and they're down seven nothing. That's tough. And you know when you when you've given up you know zero yards and you're down, um, and then they get the ball in the 38. And school, you know, so there's there's a lot to it, but that that offensive struggle carry carries over in that defense because those guys are pressing and trying to make plays, and really they gave up 14 points, two really good drives by the Ravens, and those are things the Browns will correct. But I think they played well enough to win. If they give up 14, you go back in the film room and say, all right, here's what they did on these drives, and what they did on the drives is what we talked about. All right, we got to work on when we get upfield, we have to read our keys a little bit. We have to work on make sure we're not getting doubled. We have to make sure that our linebackers are working coverage during the week because they're in man coverage too. So, you know, there's things they can work on, but they certainly played well enough to win, and it was not nearly as bad as people thought. This was this was the offense's issue, and the offense kind of, uh, you know, made everybody else kind of press and, and try to do things maybe they shouldn't do. Yeah, so the game is 14-3 at halftime, and the defense gives up seven yards in the third quarter. So to me, again, this isn't excusing the second quarter. You can't just erase that. Those big plays happened. You know, they had the Ravens, I think it was second. And let me look this up real quick. 
Um, they had the Ravens second down and 29 with 36 seconds left in the half and gave up a big play. Mm-hmm. You can't do that as a defense. But my bigger point here is when it's 14-3 at halftime and you give up seven yards in the third quarter, I would hope that the score at the end of the third quarter would maybe be 14-10 or maybe you'd be ahead 17-14. I, I do feel like some of the offense's issues sort of bled over to pe- how people viewed the way the defense played on Sunday. Well, you, you can look, and, and my thing is, uh, you know, as a coach and a guy who's an offensive coach and working with my defense coordinator, if you're going to be, the Browns are, the Browns have an identity on defense, and their identity is to pressure and play man. And when you pressure and play man, occasionally you're going to get beat, even on a, even on a, you know, 29 yards. And you don't want to give that up, and I understand that things happen, and they didn't want to do that. you got to be smart. But they are who they are, and that's what makes them play confidently because they are a pressure team, they are a man team, and they stick with their guns and they stick with who they are. And that's what kind of gives them their identity. And occasionally you're going to get beat. You know, JOK had great coverage on Gordon, made a great throw over the shoulder uh, on the wheel. You know, he he made he you know they're in a zone and uh, Ward's almost there and Thornhill's almost there, but they were in a zone and they almost got it on the uh, on the uh, Andrews touchdown. So I mean, they were there. Um, but they, I, I'm okay with them giving up a big play if they're committed to who they are. And they are. They're committed to being a pressure front, and they're committed to playing man coverage and dictating what's going on. And once in a while when you do that, you're going to get beat. And you have to be able to say, you know what, we're going to get beat, but our offense is going to be able to do their part as well. So if we get beat once or twice or give up a big play and a big touchdown, that's okay because our offense is going to score, and we're not going to give up that much. And even if, I mean, they played really poorly – and they really, truly only gave up, in my opinion, 14 points on full drives. Now, they did give up two big drives, and they're going to have to address those things, but they will. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I, I, the defense held their, held their part, and they gave up some big plays. But you're going to have that if that's, your, if that's your style of defense, and that's who they are, and that's who Jim Schwartz is. Yeah, I think as much as that Gordon throw was incredible, I think the Mark Andrews throw was, I mean, a, a, a perfect throw. Because you're right, Denzel Ward read that. He he went mm-hmm. back and, and tried to make the play, but um, you know when you have a guy Thornhill, like Mark Andrews, Thornhill was there in a three deep, and Thornhill almost got over, and they and yeah. it was just a great throw. It was actually, in my opinion, it was a great throw, but it, it had to be a great throw because it was a poor read. Um, there's two there, and and Ward and Ward read it, but sometimes you know players overplays, and, and it comes through every time. They just made a play. Yeah, when you're Lamar Jackson and you have Mark Andrews, you'll throw that ball even if it's a poor read. It's the same as Mahomes and Kelsey and, and all yep. these other great pairings. Okay, so let's talk about the offense uh, because obviously the Browns finding out Deshaun Watson's not going to play uh, pregame about two hours before the game, you know, if even that long. So I, I guess what happened with the offense? Did, did you see any significant adjustments with DTR out there? Did it look any different? Why, why was... Why was it such a struggle? Was it as simple as DTR just wasn't ready, or was there something the Browns could have done differently? Well, I think throwing the ball 36 times is a little much for a rookie against the Raven defense. I really do. You know, if you think about uh, Hunt and, and Ford having 14 carries for 38 yards, that's not enough. That's not enough touches. Even if it's just running the clock, it's, that's not enough. Um, it, for me, it looks like they had the the they were ready to go. They anticipated uh, Watson playing, and without Watson not playing, they stayed with the plan. And there were some things that happened like, uh, you know, and he's not ready and he'll get ready. And sometimes you need game reps to get ready, but you're not getting vanilla shell defense and you're not getting one high hat with four down linemen and three backers and a nice shell. And it's easy to read. Uh, Now you're getting, um, you know, NFL defenses with multiple coverages and multiple blitzes and multiple fronts. And that's what you saw. 
Um, I also feel uh, on a non-DTR thing, I feel like the Browns are they're losing their identity a little bit with their run game, and they're having trouble getting to what they want, even if Watson's in the game. And that's kind of a struggle. So those linemen, if you look at, like, why some of those runs didn't happen, the linemen aren't quite finishing their blocks. You know, if you think about, you know, you go into a game, you got block, to box Roquan Smith, you got to box Patrick Queen, and you got to box Kyle Hamilton. Those guys had 20 tackles all together. Those guys, that's so you got to get to the second level and block those guys. Those are the big players for the Ravens. So, you know, the run game's not what it was. They have their path protection is a little bit of a struggle. Um, and I just don't think the game plan changed from when Watson was out to when DTR went in. And, I, you know, you got to protect, you got to protect them a little bit with that run game, even if, it, even if you pump the ball, because punting the ball, I said it earlier in the week, if every drive ends in a kick, you got a chance with that defense, but every drive didn't end in a kick. And when those drive ends in uh, those drives end in turnovers, you get ten yards and you and you're down seven nothing. So, um, no, I didn't. I, I thought he did okay. I thought he was uh, composed. I thought he got a uh, you know welcome to the NFL moment with coverages, blitzes, and, and physicality. They beat him up pretty good compared to what you saw in the preseason. You know when he looked fantastic, it was good enough for the Browns to say we want this guy to be our number two. We're willing to move on from, from Josh Jobs and make this guy our number two. Was there anything different, or was it just I mean, look, the speed of the game is so different when you go from preseason to regular season and you're getting schemed for. And I mean, I guess the Ravens probably weren't scheming too much for for DTR uh, because they probably thought Deshaun Watson was going to play, too. But it it's just a different world when a defensive coordinator is spending his whole week getting ready to face your offense and, and what you do. So I, I guess what differences did you see in him from the preseason to the regular season? Well, he was late. So, like, let's talk about the first interception. So, the first inter- interception, they motion uh, Cooper down into a bunch look, and then uh, Moore will cross, try to clear it, and then Cooper was going to try to get in that hole. Uh, his read was Smith in that window, and he kind of had his eyes on Cooper, but he was late in the window. So, if you look at the replay, even though it was tipped, the ball was way behind. So, the ball was way behind. It got tipped. Um, if you look on the other side, so they were in a zone to the bunch side and they were in man coverage up top and Kyle Hamilton was 16 yards off. And I know he's going to come up and probably make the tackle on Njoku, but it was third and three on that play. So he's got to, he's got to say that's man coverage. Now, is he thinking it's cover two and that corner is going to be sitting in that flat? So he didn't have that out because it looked like cover two on this side. Uh, you know, you don't know what he was thinking, but that was my thing. They were in zone to one side and man to the other. And he had an easy out route to Njoku. Um, it's easier to say as we're watching film and things like that. But those are things I think he'll see um, as he gets more reps, as he watches film. But that's what I see. The game is a lot faster. He's seeing a lot more. Um, you know, you got to be, you got to anticipate windows. You have to be extremely accurate in the NFL. Um, you know, the windows are so small. Uh, and that's what you didn't see. He was not very accurate. He was um, he was late in the windows. He was late seeing things. Uh, he did not anticipate, you know, a couple of those scrambles. You think you can he can get the ball off before he had to scramble. Uh, and then he got beat up. And there's a lot to be said when you get constantly hit as a quarterback. It's not fun. And when you constantly get hit and constantly hit, your your eyes go down. And that's what happened. He just got hit and got hit and got hit. Uh, and they were physical with him for a reason. And, and they got their message across. And, you know, the Ravens were sick of hearing about the Browns defense. And they they came to play and they they attacked. So what's going on with this run game? Let's, let's wrap there. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you'd have liked to have seen them run the ball a little more, even if they weren't having that type of success. What What exactly is the issue right now outside of they don't have – Superman and Nick Chubb, I guess I should say Batman for Nick Chubb. They don't have Batman back there uh, running the football anymore. 
Well, at first, I don't think it's a scheme thing. First of all, I think they're trying to maybe be something they're not what made those guys all pro up front. What made those guys all pro up front is their ability to run football. Um, Teller's had some issues in pass protection. All linemen have some issues in pass protection if that's all you do. Uh, so for me, it's their identity. And when you lose your identity, it means your practice. You know, we, I, we talked last week about reps and how there's only a certain amount. Well, they have to spend a lot of their time now working on pass pro. They have to uh, spend a lot of their time working on blitz pickup and twists and things like that. When you went to practice last year, at least when I was there during camp two years ago, I'm sorry, they were running the ball more. So you constantly are working that through the week. So you're not getting as many reps on just pure run nastiness up front. You know, Wyatt Teller and these guys, these guys are nasty run blockers. They can pass block too. It's just something that's not, wasn't what they did when they got here. It doesn't mean they can't do it. It just means their identity, the Browns identity for years has been their offensive line and Nick Chubb. And now they're changing that identity. So that changes your practice plans for Callahan, you know, instead of spending, you know, eight to 12 minutes on double teams. Now you're spending eight to 12 minutes working on twists on pass pro and naturally with, I know everybody, there's people will say pass pro is not passive. It's not passive. It's always everything in the NFL is physical. Everything at all football, good football teams are physical, but pass pro is not as physical as running the ball. You're not saying I'm going to move a man against his will, like the run game. And when you pass box, you got to see what's coming. You got to twist, you got to pass stuff on, you got to back, you know, you're kicking back. You're letting the, so it's just not as physical. They've kind of lost their identity and it does. I think they can get it back. I I still think they can be what they want to be and throwing the ball, but when they run it, they can still be very physical. And I think they're just, I think they're just in this weird gray area right now where they're not sure who they want to be offensively. All right, there we go. Lance Reisland on the Browns' 28-3 loss to the Ravens. Lance, what do you have coming this week on the bye week? I know you already have one post up here on Tuesday as we're recording this. What's, uh, what can people watch for from you and read from you? Well, later in the week, where I'm going to break down what Munkin did. I'm going to have some illustrations on how he let those linemen come forward. I'm going to have some illustrations on, on the second quarter, how they got into some double teams. I'm going to talk about how he used back motion to kind of figure out who was covering a man, those short back motions. So uh, just going to kind of talk about how Munkin, you know, created the blueprint to attack the Browns' uh, really good defense. And, of course, you can find all that at cleveland.com slash Browns. That's also where you can become a football insider subscriber while you're there. Click that blue banner at the top of the page and uh, get our texts, get our newsletter, get access to those stories that are behind that paywall. Uh, again, that's football insider. Um, also find us on Instagram, search orange and Brown talk and uh, find us on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com to find that YouTube channel as well. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the orange and Brown talk podcast for Mary Kay, Ashley and Lance. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 